We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to focus on Andy Stanley, one of America's most prominent evangelical pastors, one of the largest churches in the nation, if not the world, and how this pastor, this reportedly Bible-believing, Bible-preaching pastor, is dead wrong on his definition of humanity and therefore his entire worldview unravels. I'm Dr. Ever Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. As I said in the introduction, today's topic is Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is a pastor of North Point Community Church outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Now, this is one of the largest churches in the nation, if not the world. As I looked at the most recent number, North Point Community Church has almost 40,000 people attending on a weekly basis. It has eight locations across the uh, metro Atlanta area. Andy Stanley is a leader of the evangelical movement in the United States. This is a very influential man, Andy Stanley, in a very influential church, obviously. You have 38,589 people attending on a weekly basis right now. Like I said, just shy of 40,000 people. Now, if you don't know who Andy Stanley is, you need to pay attention because people with this kind of influence obviously make an impact on uh, the image, the impression that people have, others have, of the church, of Christians, of the gospel. This is a pretty prominent platform, right? I mean, it's a pretty high platform. When you're standing on that type of platform, I'll use that analogy once again, that metaphor, when, you, when your platform is that high, a lot of people are going to hear you. And Andy Stanley is, is a very outspoken evangelical preacher. So what I want to do after we take a break is I'm going to play at least one audio clip, maybe two. I don't know how much time I have in this show. But I'm going to show you why when you answer some of the basic questions, these four questions that I've highlighted on this show over and over again, the Chuck Colson questions of, uh, of a worldview, Remember, I've told you that everybody has a worldview that answers four basic questions. The origins of man. Where do we come from? How did we start? How did we get here in the first place? And then the second question is the nature of man. What's our definition? What is the human being, really? And are we any different than any other, any other aspect of creation, any other aspect, if you're thinking of it in Darwinistic terms of evolution? Origin of man, nature of man. Where did we come from? What's our definition? And then the next one is the redemption of man. If there's a problem in the human race, how do we fix it? How do we redeem it? And finally, once you answer those three basic questions, you have to then answer the question of your responsibility. And if you get the first three questions wrong, the responsibility that you take, the actions that you take to solve those issues will be very different than had you got those answers right. So let's take a break. And when I get back, I'm going to play you this clip from Andy Stanley. 
and we will critique it within the context of the question, is this evangelical pastor's worldview right or wrong? I'm Dr. Robert Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break. I'll be right back in a couple of minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance, and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So, just to repeat, if you don't know who Andy Stanley is, he's Charles Stanley's son. Now, Charles Stanley was a very prominent preacher himself. Um, and Andy Stanley comes on the scene in 1995. Andy Stanley is a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the more conservative, Bible-focused, Bible-leaving seminaries in the United States. Andy Stanley is a graduate from there. He has a father who's very biblical, and was a very, is a very prominent preacher himself. Andy Stanley plants a church in the suburbs of Atlanta in 1995. 1995, he plants a church. And that church has grown to nearly 39,000 attendees on a, on, a, on a given week right now. Like I said, just shy of 40,000 people attending his church. And that's with butts in the seats, if you will. That has nothing to do with his online impact and the multiple books he's written. So Andy Stanley has a very prominent voice as an evangelical pastor. And you know, if you listen to me routinely, I identify as an evangelical. What's an evangelical? Somebody who believes in the evangel. What's the evangel? The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Evangelicals are those who hold to a high view of Scripture. The Bible is the Word of God. Many evangelicals identify with inerrancy, that the Bible is inerrant, it's infallible, it's authoritative, it's true. They have a very high view of Scripture. Evangelicals would be distinct from mainline Protestants. The evangelical movement would be comprised of many different denominations. Uh, Nazarenes, Wesleyans, Assembly of God, Baptists, and a lot of other denominations in between. Uh, there are a lot of non-denominational churches that would identify as evangelical. And as I've talked before, there's, uh, historically anyway, there's a, there's a distinction between fundamentalists and evangelicals, even though I have an issue with that, because I think if you go back to the purity of the fundamentalist movement, all it was was a movement that focused on the fundamentals of the faith. 
Evangelicals, however, sprung out of that movement because a lot of fundamentalists at the in the beginning of the 1900s turned anti-intellectual, and they thought that their kids didn't need uh, an education. Uh, they were very suspicious of colleges and universities, and maybe for good reason, or at least partially so, but I would argue that those fundamentalists overreacted, and they kind of became isolationists and closed down into their own little enclaves where they didn't uh, uh, perhaps take as seriously the admonition to be prepared to give a defense for the faith that lies within. You, you know, the obligation that we have to intellectually, academically, if you will, defend our faith. Uh, that's perhaps too broad of a stroke for fundamentalists, but that is somewhat accurate if you want to describe the difference between the evangelicals and fundamentalists if, if you go back to the early 1900s. The early 1900s and then later on, 1930s, 40s, and 50s, you saw the evangelical movement spring out of the fundamentalist movement, where the evangelicals included people like Carl F. Henry Jr. and even Billy Graham, who believed in the obligation of going to college, learning more about the Bible, and being prepared to give a defense for the faith that lies within, not only with scripture, but with logic and reason, experience, tradition, etc. You get my point here? So here we are today, however, with the evangelical leaders such as Andy Stanley um, saying things like what I'm going to play for you right now. And I want you to listen to this audio clip. It's very short. I was going to play uh, two audio clips, but the other one's too long. So this one's good enough. I want you to listen to this audio clip from this leading voice, perhaps the leading voice, you could argue, in evangelicalism in the United States right now with a church of 38,500 plus people attending physically on a weekly basis, a man who has written multiple books on Christianity, who is preaching this sermon. And I want you to listen to this clip. How to get straight people as excited about serving and engaging as the gay men and women I know, we would have a volunteer backlog. That's my experience in our churches. Well, I, I'm a gay person, I'll just read it to you. A gay person, when I say gay men and women, okay, a gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community? I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. A gay person who knows, you know what? I might not be accepted here, but I'm going to try it anyway. Have you ever done that as a straight person? Do you, where do you go that you're not sure you're going to be accepted and you go over and over and over and over? Only your in-law's house. That's the only place you go where you know you're not completely accepted, but you go over and over and over, and it's because you have to. But other than the in-laws, what environment do you continue to step foot in knowing at any moment you may feel ostracized? No place. I'm telling you, the gay men and women who grew up in church and the gay men and women who've come to faith in Christ as adults who want to participate in our church. Oh my goodness. I know 1 Corinthians 6 and I know Leviticus and I know Romans 1. It's so interesting to talk about all that stuff, but just, oh my goodness, a gay man or woman who wants to worship their heavenly father who did not answer the cry of their heart when they were 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. God said no, and they still love God. We have some things to learn from a group of men and women who love Jesus that much and who want to worship with us. And I know the verses. I know the clobber passages, right? We got to figure this out. And you know what? I think you are. Okay. 
That comes straight from a sermon from Andy Stanley. Now, Andy Stanley is also the man who in a sermon said that evangelicals need to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. Now, when I've mentioned this before on this show and when I've had dialogue with others, whether it be on a program or whether it be in writing or whether it just be face-to-face, those who want to defend Andy Stanley say, well, are you taking his comments out of context? I don't think so. Now, if you can find evidence that I have or anybody else has, then share it with me and I'll apologize, really will. But I don't think so. When you say you need to unhitch yourself from the Old Testament, what are you doing? You're throwing out two-thirds of the Bible, in a sense. Now, you may say that's not what he said. He said you need to unhitch yourself. He didn't say throw out the entire Old Testament. But that language is very inflammatory, if nothing else. It disparages or diminishes the authority of the Old Testament, doesn't it, over the, over, over the, the current evangelical, over today's quote-unquote Bible-believing Christians? If you're saying unhitch yourself from that part of the Bible, doesn't it diminish its authority, its definitions, its clarity? And it also calls into question as to why Jesus himself referred to the Old Testament so frequently, and why the Apostle Paul, and why Matthew, and why others keep referring back to the Old Testament. Why does Peter refer to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in his epistles? And likewise, why does Jude refer to the Old Testament? Why does the writer of Hebrews refer repeatedly to the Old Testament? How can we unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament when Jesus himself and his apostles did not do so? But Andy Stanley has a sermon where he says that evangelicals need to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. And what's that have to do with today? Well, if you unhitch yourself from the Old Testament, which is the story of the definition of humanity, the definition of man, and our origins, then you might get some things wrong thereafter. So let's go back to the basic questions. Origin of man. The Old Testament says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it then goes on to say that we are created in the image of God. Okay, we are the Imago Dei. This is a one-string banjo that I play all the time on this show. You're the Imago Dei. You're the Imago Dei. Imago Dei. You are the image of God. You're not the product of the primordial soup. You didn't rise up out of the swamp along with other biologically evolved cells. You're unique. God created you uniquely. The story of Genesis is true. The theories of Darwin are not. Period. End of it. But if you don't believe that, if you get the origin of man wrong, and I don't know, I I can't find a sermon from Andy Stanley right now where he says that Darwin is right and Genesis is wrong, but implicit in his particular sermons is you need to unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. That's not as important as the New Testament. And therefore, some of the narrative, if not all of the narrative of the Old Testament, can be sifted through the grid of something else, your own opinion, the evolving wisdom of man? I don't know. I don't know. But the Old Testament loses its authority when you have pastors saying, unhitch yourself from it. Okay? So you might get the answer to the question, origin of man, slightly wrong, if not completely wrong. And if you get the answer to that question wrong, you're going to get the question wrong. You're going to get the answer to the question of the nature of man wrong. Okay, if origins, if origins is in question, if you've unhitched yourself from that narrative, that story, then you're 
answer to the question of what's your nature, what's the nature of man, is going to be completely wrong. And that's the point of today's show. Andy Stanley, in this clip I just played for you, repeatedly refers to gay men and gay women. He has the definition of humanity wrong. I've said over and over again on this show, that's an ontological error. To quote quote Rosaria Butterfield again, it's a 19th century categorical error. It's an error of neo-Freudism. Andy Stanley is buying into Sigmund Freud's definition of humanity more so than he's buying into the biblical definition of human beings. He keeps referring to gay men and gay women as if that's their identity, that's their ontological reality. He doesn't even understand what Gore Vidal understood. Gore Vidal, a pagan, a man who engaged and boldly so in homosexual activity, but yet acknowledged that, quote, you know where I'm going with this, I've said it before on this show. Here's Gore Vidal's quote. There's no more such thing as a homosexual person than there is a heterosexual person. These are behavioral adjectives, close quote. Gay men and gay women, as Andy Stanley repeatedly refers to, are not real. Those are behavioral adjectives, like Gore Vidal says. Those aren't nouns. That isn't your ontological definition. it's, It's akin to saying that an adulterous person is morally equal to a black person. Well, that's an insult to people of African-American heritage. A black person is a noun. That's who you are. That has nothing to do with your behavioral choice. A white person is your ontological reality. It has nothing to do with your behavioral choices. A homosexual person, as Gore Vidal rightly says, is a behavioral adjective. It's a reference to your behavioral decisions. It's not your ontological reality. And Andy Stanley doesn't get this. And because he has the definition of the nature of man wrong, the definition of who you are naturally, who you are, your ontological being, because he has that wrong, he's defining people in this sermon by virtue of their inclinations rather than their God-given identity. Just because you have an inclination to adultery doesn't mean that's who you are. It means you shouldn't do it. It means that God is right when he says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. When when you acknowledge that you have an inclination to theft or to deceit, that you're inclined to lie, that's not your ontological reality. It means you're prone to sin. And that you need to eschew the sin. You need to deny the sin. You need to repent of the sin. Not that you celebrate that as part of who you are. That you follow the gospel message and acknowledge that there's none righteous, no, not one. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that if you we, if, if we, I was going to say you, but you and me, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Do you hear any of that in Andy Stanley's message where he's extolling and elevating 
gay men and gay women as if that's their end all and be all, as if their desires define them rather than their God, our God, the only God. Where in the gospel, where in the evangel, the evangel, the biblical message of the good news of Jesus Christ, where in that message does it ever dumb down the definition of the human being to nothing but the sum total of what we are inclined to do? I'll say it one more time. Where does it ever dumb down the definition of the human being to nothing but the sum total of what we are inclined to do? Our identity is more than our inclinations. Our definition is more than our desires. Our being is more than our behavior. Do you get, do you get where I'm going right now? Andy Stanley, I guess, has bought the lie that the human being is nothing more than what he wants to do, that we are defined. Here's the shame of it. He implicitly in this sermon is saying that the human being is defined by his libido, her libido, not by his or her Lord, that you're born that way. You're not born again. It's, it's, it's a sad degradation of the definition of the human being, and therefore it's a sad disregard of what can happen with, within the person who's given over to Christ. Behold, you are a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, you are new. You're a new creation in Christ. You're transformed. That's the message of the gospel. And then notice how Andy kind of almost mockingly says, oh, I know the clobber passages. I know Corinthians. I know Romans. I know Leviticus. He basically is being a little arrogant right now. He's saying, you know, I have degrees in this stuff, and I know all those passages. Don't talk to me about those. We've got to get this stuff right. We've got to figure this out, and I think we are. No, no. You don't need to figure it out in any different way than what the scriptures tell you. You are not the measuring rod, Mr. Stanley, and your church members aren't either. You don't need to figure it out. You just need to read and you need to listen and you need to stop saying that you're going to unhitch yourself from the passages you don't like. Oh, I know those clobber passages, but we need to figure this stuff out, and I think we are, he says. When you get the definition of the human being wrong, when you say you're going to unhitch yourself from the majority of the Bible, when you say you're going to behave differently and read the scriptures differently than Jesus himself did and the apostles did, when you call passages of the Bible that Jesus himself inspired because he is the second person of the triune God, Jesus is just as much the inspiration of Leviticus as he is anything else. And when you take the writings of Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, and you disparage those writings as if they're quote-unquote clobber passages, where are you going to go next? In your church? And where are you going to go next in your definition of Christianity as well as your definition of the human being? We've got to get the answers right to begin with, or the answers that follow thereafter are going to be broken and wrong. Andy Stanley is wrong, period. 
There is no more such thing as a gay person than there is a straight person, Mr. Stanley. These are behavioral adjectives. They are not ontological descriptions of the human being. Any more than saying, Mr. Stanley, you're an arrogant person. That's who you are. You should celebrate your arrogance. We want to affirm your arrogance. You should feel safe in the church with regard to your arrogance. You shouldn't have to confess it because it's the way you were born. So anybody who challenges your arrogance, Mr. Stanley, is a bigot. And shame on those Christians who have treated you poorly over the years for saying, you know, your arrogance is not biblical. It's not right. You should confess it. You shouldn't celebrate it. Oh, those Christians, the church that condemned arrogant people. It's the church's fault for making arrogant people feel unsafe and uncomfortable in the church. Shame on the church. We need to figure this out. Stop referring to the clobber passages against arrogance. Start celebrating the identity. Create a new flag. Create new logos. Create a new movement. Create special opportunities for arrogant people to come into our church, celebrate their identity, and be members of our evangelical community. Does what I just said sound absurd to you? Well, it should sound absurd because whether it's your arrogance, Andy Stanley's arrogance, or my arrogance, it should be confessed and we should repent of it and take on the humility of Christ and the humility of the first century church, the writers of the New Testament as well as the old, and bow in submission and humbleness before our sovereign God rather than flaunting our arrogance. Because, no, that's not our identity, that's our sin. And we can be born again. And we shouldn't say, well, we're born that way. Who are you to clobber me with passages against arrogance, against condescension, against gossip, against a desire to steal? Are we going to start celebrating hateful people because that's the way they were born? Are we going to stop preaching passages against hate because those are clobber passages? Do we need to unhitch ourselves from any Old Testament condemnation of hate? I mean, the bottom line here is you're created in the image of God, but you're broken because of original sin. And you can't celebrate your identity because you want to do something that are defined as sin. I just can't understand why evangelical pastors, especially pastors within the holiness movement, I assume Andy Stanley embraces at least part of the holiness message, holiness under the Lord, that we need to be given over to holiness rather than our sin, that we should be defined by Jesus Christ, Christ our Lord, not by our broken inclinations, desires, and our libido. So I'm going to say it one more time as we wrap up the show. You've got to get the basic questions right and the answers right. And two of the foremost questions are origins, 
Where do you come from? How did you get here? And that's an Old Testament story, by the way. You shouldn't unhitch yourself from Genesis. And then the nature of man. Who are you? What's your definition? And that, by the way, is an Old Testament story as well as a New Testament story. You can't unhitch yourself from either. When the, when the Bible defines you as a special creation, the Imago Dei, it also defines you as a sinner. You're broken. And there are rules against the sin, and nothing in the Bible ever tells you to define yourself by those sinful desires. Zero. Nothing. Old Testament or new. What Andy Stanley's message does, it basically exonerates quote-unquote, gay people. And it says, implicitly, you don't need to confess that stuff because the verses that make you feel guilty for it are clobber passages. We need to figure this stuff out. I think the gospel writers, and when I say gospel, I mean all of the writers of Scripture because Jesus inspired both the Old and the New Testament as his evangel, his good news. I think the Bible already has figured this stuff out, Mr. Stanley. And you're wrong, and the Bible is right. I'm Dr. Ever Piper, and this is The Rebellion.